0: We're back. Let's get into a lot that we missed starting off with a couple of trailers. We finally get our first peek into the world of the awards season, at least from what I can tell with a couple of trailers, three to be exact. We started off weeks ago. We got a little teaser for blonde with Ana de Armos and Wowzer.
1: And it's actually uh, a good, I guess, um, conversation with had uh, with the having right now because that's one of brad pitt's next producing films that's going to come out on netflix
0: uh-huh. um, very true very true it, i mean dude just but looking at this trailer turns me into that wolf from the classic cartoons that's like a oh, ooga ah, like jaw hits the floor type so she looks so hot as Marilyn Monroe,
1: she just looks like Marilyn Monroe. Uh, this this will be on Netflix September twenty eighth, NC seventeen. This has been the biggest conversation about the film is how hard the rating is, um, and it's nearly two hours and forty six minutes. Oh, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> oh shit! So I mean, I, I don't want to hear
0: you. I don't want to hear you praising this movie and then complaining about like any musical biopics because at least those have fun songs to break up the insane runtime.
1: I will say, I'm I'm certainly more interested in this one than i was with spencer uh i feel like those are gonna be very good comparisons uh
0: well i mean marilyn monroe is basically the american princess no i'm just <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs> that's say that I, for another I, episode. <laughs> you know i i actually i do understand that like not to take away from princess diana but like literally marilyn monroe was the larger than life moment of her time and to see the behind the scenes and the things she personally went through, if they are going to display this in the movie, that's going to be very interesting to see.
1: Uh, and, and certainly worth seeing too. We are very pro Ana de Armas, uh, I think, in the world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a world uh, that is very pro Ana de Armas. But other than that, there are like a couple of other trailers. And I'm going to turn this over to my co-host to try to pronounce the the name of this film.
1: And I, oh man, it, this would be nice if like it was back in the two thousands where they would say the title during the trailer, the voiceover guy. But uh, but yeah, this next one, the Banshees of Inner um uh, Yep, we're gonna try, we're gonna try our best with that one. But uh, this is Martin McDo's reuniting with Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, um, more famous from Bruges. This film, uh, it looks highly entertaining on a comedy side of things. Uh, I don't
0: know about entertaining. Oh, you can't it look it looks so depressing fun. as shit. It looks like a fun depressing. <laughs> oh yeah, because that's take the, your best, the friend best friend to watch
1: kind of Yeah, take your best friend to watch this.
0: Yeah, okay. I mean,
1: if if you haven't seen In Bruges, like it's that movie is just um, working on another cylinder, and I'm glad to see these three get get back in there. Um, but this also says Barry Kogan. Cohan. I don't think we pronounced the
0: Kiergan, Barry Ke- yeah. Keone.
1: Fucking so, what's actually, his name? Yeah, I'm excited to see like what he does with this one, but uh, not to like go deep into the plot, but like this seems like a film we could be talking about when we do get into the uh, the back half of the award season, hopefully. Um, yeah, but- I mean,
0: dude, it looks just from the trailer, it the way they shot Ireland looks incredible because it's bleak and like rustic and vast because they're like just all these shots are on like cliffs and hillsides and. It just it looks it looks amazing. And I'm I'm on board for anything that Colin Farrell's doing. He as like an actor has kind of like ebbed and flowed with how much I've liked him over his career. But like after the penguin and and like actually even after I saw him in Saving Mr. Banks, he kind of started a resurgence in my mind. And so now I'm very on board for whatever he's yeah. got planned to do. And then also you got Mad Eye Moody fucking Brendan Gleeson, Braveheart, like literally one of the, this incredibly high caliber character actor. It can only mean good things for uh, this movie, I hope. And I, like, the trailer is just fantastic.
1: Well, the best thing about you saying all that about Colin Farrell, there's so many films that you haven't even watched yet that I feel like you're, you're in for a
0: good surprise. Uh, but yeah, uh, and then watch The Lobster. That is one of my favorites of his. I'm, I'm glad someone watches it and likes it.
1: Uh so oh, yeah. And then I, w-
0: I thought you were gonna say I thought you were gonna say that like you don't like the lobster. I'm like, you fucking <laughs> I know you like the lobster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I know what animal I would be myself. Um oh do you want to oh god, I want to talk about that so bad, but we gotta keep going. Uh and then like
1: the last bit of trailer we got was from yesterday, which was the tri- triangle of sadness from Ruben Otlan. Uh, this film won the Palm Dior Award at the Canes, which is basically its best picture. And that usually means a, a lot going in, into award season. And just without giving a whole lot away, I mean, this film looks insane and looks I, disgusting. It's like it's like a it's a comedy drama about rich people and just what happens when they're starting to lose loose I I've I've read. Oh, it, I, I, I do. They say don't don't go into it expecting what you think the trailer gets off. Like there's a lot more that's gonna happen within this film, and so like. I I'm I'm excited for it. It looks Woody Harrelson plays boat yeah. captain and he's been getting high praise. So you definitely want to see that going into the award season.
0: He's awardless, isn't he? Yeah, unfortunately. That's fucking ridiculous.
1: He was yeah, he's was nominated like early in his career, and then that caused him to like take a Wasn't born...
0: it for like natural born killers or something weird?
1: Uh the people versus Larry Flint. It, okay that is the uh, and, weird thing i was thinking yeah. but yeah and then he had the supporting for the messenger and supporting for three billboards uh so oh, i know he and, was so he good in fucking in good
0: three company. billboards oh I my lost,
1: god lost in good company but yeah i mean I'm, I'm very excited to see what this could bring for for him but also just uh i mean the film itself looks really funny i actually i mean i just got done watching the square so uh, I kind of have a, an idea of what, what might be to come, but it looks like a blast and just from everything I've seen, it's like you, it's one of those where it's best to go in not knowing anything, so and there's a lot of grotesqueness with the film and the trailer shows a little bit of that as well
0: Yeah, it looks like a lot of shit and puke bro,
1: and uh, yeah and I mean, that just sounds like a, a good time, right? <laughs> but yeah, that's that's our you know our, our trailer roundup, I mean, there hasn't been a whole lot, I will say what's going to be neat going into the the September, uh, I guess the next month is you're going to start getting a lot more trailers of films that are going to be competing for the award race, which is right. I, I can't
0: wait because we when we started this podcast, we had our whole awards section at the back half of the podcast and I can't wait to get back into that talking about these higher caliber performances and these movies that are like the awards because I know I mean, I know you that's that's your bread and butter. So we get back into that. It'll be a real good time, especially because we you already started compiling a list. There is a lot of talent or not like talent, but there's a lot of contenders coming in the next couple of months here. So very exciting
1: contenders and also just i would say go, a lot of uncertainty um i guess we could talk about this real quick because it's within trailers and movie news and whatnot but like it has been confirmed that the the killer of the flower moons is going to get delayed to
0: 2023 god damn it that's me <laughs> that has uh, nothing to do with that, what we're talking that about that is
1: that is leo new film with martin scorsese so yeah i'm i'm fucking upset about that uh but
0: well hopefully we still get the get killers
1: started. we got yeah well yeah and that apparently, rumor has it David Fincher. Is
0: that the name of it did i just combine the two
1: no you're, you're the killers or it and it's
0: be- the killing of yeah. the flower moon and the killers yeah that's funny
1: it yeah david fincher's new film might also get delayed uh but yeah i mean w- i guess the good thing about that one though is dicaprio signed on to do a new film with scorsese so finish your first one and then we get going on the second one uh but yeah i i mean come on i had to shout that out it's been a couple weeks Uh, Outside of that, yeah, I mean, I can't wait till we get to go into that, um, because I know you and I, that tends to be sometimes our best conversations. So can't
0: wait. But that has been another episode of your Trailer Trailers. This is how I went. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Life
1: moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. How can you not be romantic about baseball?
0: Yeah, well, you know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. No, no, you, you complete me. I'm
1: the king of the world! If you
0: don't have a good sense of humor, you're better off dead. 69, dudes! And we are back, folks. We are back with the Sin Arrivals podcast. We took a week off hiatus because there is absolutely nothing coming out in theaters these next two months. It's going to be a lot of this. We might be a bi-weekly podcast for the time being. Just because... You don't want an episode of when we're just talking about a DC Super Pets and then having to struggle to think of some kind of boring theme for you. We're giving you full-fledged content here at the Sin Arrivals podcast. So, sit back. We got so much to talk about today. We are highlighting another one of our favorite actors, which is always one of our best podcasts, doing the Tom Cruise style, going through his career by decade by decade and picking our fa- some of our favorite films, each of us. No guests this week, so we each get some extra picks. We're gonna get to talk about it a little bit more, but first, more playing time. <laughs> yeah, we got more playing time, exactly. But first,
1: no pinch minutes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We've we, we got it. We got it. We got we got some opening uh, business to attend because Brent and Brett. You know, we haven't been recording podcasts, but you know, we be out there going to the movies like always, seeing the new stuff, telling you what it's about. So. We're going to start off with maybe the thing that came out the furthest back, which is um, the new animated release, the newest teaming of one Dwayne, the rock Johnson and one Kevin Hart. And that is DC super pets. We have the rock playing crypto, the super hound. We have Kevin Hart playing ace, the bat hound, and then a slew of other famous comedian voice actors voicing all these other super powerful animals. And, the movie's pretty okay. It's like very mid and very, very, very for children. And you got it. Like I, I came up watching. There is a series called, about crypto, the super dog on Cartoon Network. And yeah, that was also skewed towards kids, but I don't know. This just, it, it, it had its moments. It had its funny bits that it would go through. And like Kate McKinnon as the villain was honestly a standout for me. Cause she was in a different movie. But yeah, it was a pretty OK kids film, but something that you could like definitely just plop your children, your babysitting or your or whatever in front of and just them shut up and watch it.
1: Yeah, I would say one thing with this film is that it was the fourth animated film that came out this summer, and I think it kind of hurt from that
0: well, aspect. fourth in theaters, because like I've been watching every other thing that drops on Netflix. Animation is going hard lately. Mm hmm. Yeah.
1: And this film, I, I mean, it seems like the animation isn't the brightest. Like, I i actually like the animation and, and minions a lot more than I did in this
0: one. You know, it's slick, but it's nothing special. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was annoyed by. because it's, it's like. What Like, do something with it? You're it's the, we've seen so many animated versions of the DC characters. And yeah, we get another version of the Justice League and all their pets and stuff. But like it. What imagine if this was in the style of like a, like a spider like a, across the Spider Verse or I mean a, like a like a like a Spider Man into the Spider Verse sort of comic book style? I think that would have at least gotten me more interested in the situation. Look, we got a super dog in the background. She heard you it. heard it, did Cleo heard DC Super Pets and was like, "Oh, that I heard my name." Yeah, I think uh, not to
1: like you know. An excellent voice cast, but yet at the same time, the plot might have just been a little less interesting than I thought going into it from the trailers. I mean, you have The Rock and Kevin Hart seem to do everything now. Um, this one being on the lower ten- uh, end of, of what I liked, but uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those- I still I can't know,
0: believe you like Central it. Intelligence more than this. That movie is not good.
1: Well I, well, I haven't seen it in a while, so that's why I just ranked it. Okay. Fair. I, mean, I just but... I didn't take, but also like no like that's they're, they're I mean they're they're out there throwing in their physical chops with it, so yeah, sure.
0: That I mean part of the joke when it comes to Kevin Hart and The Rock, and why they're a very good comedic duo is their drastic size difference. Yes, and when you're putting them behind voice acting and like behind a microphone and inside like these dogs that are just talking to each other. You lose part of that comedy routine, which is not good. And so I get that. I totally get that because it also wasn't as funny as I thought it could definitely be with, especially with the amount of I mean, dude, you had people like John Krasinski, who's having himself a fucking year, who is this in just one year playing Reed Richards and Superman. So that's was a great casting. But like he got little to nothing to do. So the plot is okay. Obviously, it's focused more around the pets. They're they're they got to save the Justice League from this weird little hamster thing, voiced by Kate McKinnon, who thinks it's more of a friend with Lex Luthor than he than it really is. But again, like like I said, we can just keep we could. It's it's okay. It's fine. It's it's a passable kids movie.
1: Not not to go heavy off topic here, but I found because I know we both watched it and we haven't talked about it, but I found CB's being a lot more entertaining than this. And I would probably recommend that movie more than DC Pets.
0: I recommended it like two weeks ago as our, I think our (laughs) thing, didn't I?
1: I believe so, but I didn't, I haven't watched it yet.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, you hadn't watched it. Right, 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 right. No, I mean, that movie is is, uh, like structurally just a lot better and it has better comedic beats, better action. So that, that is not an argument I'm going to have with you, but. I mean I? I'd like I, I don't think I don't think DC Super Pets is is harming in any way and I don't know Warner Brothers just the fact that they have no idea what they're going to do with the DC universe I guess it's just good that we're seeing some form of the Justice League on the big screen but we'll definitely see what they're going to do with their shit show of a studio that they got going on right now. Yes 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 yes. All right, would you like to lead into the next one? I know it was your favorite of the week
1: uh you're talking about, um <laughs> trying to like keep a straight face about this but uh but yeah there's a very limited film that came out in theaters uh i got to say um I just was not expecting it uh, what to be but this is vengeance directed by bj novak from office fame and it a quick plot summary is just a journalist podcaster who travels to new york to texas because of a girl he once hooked up with was murdered and their family thinks that he can help figure out what the case,
0: what that I is. I think it was more than once. Well, wow. clearly it had, had had like hung out multiple times with this relationship. Okay. But like, I just, because does that because you were having an issue with that, weren't you? You were like, how? who just does this for someone you met once? I'm like, when I was looking back at it and I watched some clips and some reviews, like I'm pretty sure they had established that like,
1: so are we going? He had
0: spent multiple that? dates with her, just like casually hanging out. Though,
1: are we talking about spoilers then? Uh,
0: because
1: yeah, my reason it
0: was if it was any better? You know what? If it was better, I would say no. But <laughs> we should definitely just talk about it.
1: My reason for that is because of the ending, the conclusion, where he goes to Ash and Kutcher and just shoots him.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of like
1: there's wow, no you, went,
0: you just and went right and spoiled the I, entire thing right there.
1: Yeah, like I mean. It's fucking fantastic to see Kutcher back on screen. Uh, that just reminds me of the two thousands. But I just didn't feel any emotional investment in him with this girl because he, you know, he didn't want to be there with this family. And the family, the Texas family, was the best part. Uh, I mean, especially getting, uh, getting to see J. Smith Cameron from Succession fame on screen again is is a delight. But everything like that had to do with BJ novak trying to solve this with his podcasting agent team and whatnot i just I'm just not i mean yeah we're podcasters but like this whole true crime wave that makes sense to build something i just did not care for the story
0: at all i mean that's that's not our kind of podcast but it's an incredibly popular avenue when it comes to the podcasting yes. world like people yes. eat that shit up. oh they do they do but my i think my thing is they so uh, clearly this is a uh like a freshman project for bj novak he's never written directed and starred in a feature film and and if i'm going to be completely honest he probably shouldn't have starred in this film but i did like his directing style and i did like his writing style uh yes i found that there were multiple times where there were just ongoing like long stretched out monologues that these people were having about like the the abundant or the like meaning of life and like happiness and family and all that stuff. And it just kept happening. And I get it. Cause it's a movie about a podcaster. So you're going to have like long monologues of just rambling and talking. So that's actually good. Um, what I found most endearing about the film was the way they made us fall in love with the family. And I think the reason the ending happens the way it does, like you said, with him shooting the character that Ashton Kutcher plays, which Ashton Kutcher was maybe one of the best parts of the whole movie. He was, he was a scene stealer. Everything that came out of his mouth was insightful and thought provoking, but like also didn't make any sense whatsoever. And I just found that hilarious, but he goes and he kills Ashton Kutcher because of not because of how much he feels for the daughter, but how much he can clearly see that he now feels for the family. Mm-hmm. and like the people of this town and like why are they having to deal with this bullshit and like yeah it, he shoots a guy in cold blood and that's so incredibly far fetched for this weak ass little Jewish New York boy but i mean i get it but it, it wasn't it wasn't anything amazing i do think that bj novak is going somewhere with his film career and this does prove it because i like the way he shot texas i like the way he was able to pull performances out of these characters like Ashton Kutcher and like Hoyt, Boyd Holbrook, who I thought both were really great in this movie on by themselves. So I would recommend it. it. I mean, in the end, it feels like a long episode of The Office where this weird, unlikable kind of like quirky guy gets put into a most ridiculous situation and just kind of has to deal with the repercussions until the eventual liar reveal, which that was a bit cliche the whole oh yeah blah 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 i didn't even give a shit about your sister now they're now we're getting into a fight and we're not friends anymore but i still think i as a as an uh, like a first project i still think it was pretty good worth seeing we're seeing what he does next i guess
1: i made the mistake by going into this I'm not thinking it would be a comedy because apparently it was a comedy and yeah, that was my issue. I just didn't find it was
0: it. A de- it was a dark comedy, but there were definitely moments of levity and a lot of good jokes. Well, like I said,
1: I have a dark heart. Yeah. Uh, that moves into our next like a uh, quick new film of the week, which unfortunately had the debut on Hulu. Which,
0: well, a- I know it it did hit theaters some places, limitedly. Oh, but yeah, I mean, for the majority like, it was on Hulu,
1: but probably for um. Like
0: L.A. and New York markets,
1: yeah, like the bigger markets where right. they advertise a lot better there, uh, obviously. But uh, but no, we're talking about prey, which is the Predator semi prequel, because uh, it ha- I mean it's advertised as a prequel, but it, it's not any you know uh, picking up. More things
0: it's up. not like we're learning where Dutch uh, got his training or any of that, or seeing Carl Weathers come up. It's like truly a prequel in the sense that we that are period. we are near prehistoric times. Man, they take us back to the Comanche Indian times.
1: Yeah, so this is the most watched premiere on, on Hulu of all time for film and TV. So I was find that. Wow,
0: that yeah. is and TV. That is impressive.
1: It has the highest rated uh rotten tomato score uh from the whole predator series that doesn't include the alien spinoffs but the predator film uh more than predator. one
0: i'm sorry it's higher than one
1: <laughs> by like yeah i think by like 10, 10 whatever i think predator was in the 80s so this one's at like 92 last i checked when i saw that stat
0: 92 is high
1: um yeah so let's get into it uh so, yeah, this this film follows a comanche warrior who is, he, you know, sets out to protect her tribe while at the same time, like she's preparing herself for this this big hunt. Like she has to prove herself to her tribe that she's able to go out there and do this stuff. And where that part kept me interested, uh, the areas that it did not was that this was a predator film in which we didn't get to see a whole lot of the predator. Uh, the kills were pretty cool. Don't get me wrong. Uh, there is the br- the brutal aspect of this film is there. There's no shine away from like, it's, it's really sadistic kills in some ways. But when I got from the trailer, uh, I was hoping for more one-on-one, which is just like a 90 minute of, her and the predator going toe to toe, the whole, like a whole fight. whatnot. not, but we like
0: trying to out trap and out predator each yeah. one of them. Yeah. And like, just, like, hunt- yeah. like the hunter hunting, that. the hunting know. and the hunter hunting, the other, like they were the hunters hunting each other.
1: Like it made sense where she, she quickly learned that he wasn't hunting her down because she was being handcuffed and he doesn't find that a part of the sport. And so when she quickly started picking up on that stuff, like I thought that was neat. I thought everything that Amber, Mind, Thunder brought to the character was fantastic. Uh, Just where my issues come from was just like, you know, I wanted this to be a Predator film and I hold that to a higher standard, just like all the other ones that we've had. And this is the best since probably two. I mean, I like Predator two. That one's fun. It's become more of a cult classic uh, since the 90s. Uh, this one had very, you know, the cinematography is, is neat, and I like the setting to it. But I just, I was wanting more uh, of the of Naru and the Predator, and instead we just got a whole lot of other people to amp the body count, and we even got like these, uh, like these uh, revolutionary warriors or gunmen and whatnot, soldiers that I just didn't care for at all. That were trying to like, I don't know, it just,
0: I so I, was, the-
1: I didn't feel the threat. I mean that, that's I, that's the best way to, s- to summarize. It. I just didn't feel it threatening in a way. No,
0: nah, um, I mean I I don't agree with that. I thought the predator was incredibly intimidating, especially when we finally got to see it. The design on the like prehistoric like say, predator finally, did, with did, the, did the class. Yeah. Well, yeah. When we eventually <laughs> like he removes his like literal skull piece that he's using as a mask. And even his technology on his weaponry is like more prehistoric than we have seen in the past. So we can clearly tell this is like a more original version of the Predator. And I mean, just the concept of Predator films in general, the this this idea that humans have been around for all these years thinking that they are the apex predators on the planet, but then enrolls. The predators from a different planet whose only goal is to prove that they are top of the food chain and that they can, they are the best hunters and the best predators. Yes. Like that's amazing. Well, and I, now injecting that into a more prehistoric time where the people have limited technology and resources and stuff like that and still have to find a way to combat this advanced alien technology that the predator has. That is, that was really good. It was really well done. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my biggest gripe with the film as a whole was just like, if this was a true prey, something that the studio, or, or like a true Predator prequel and something that the studio had faith in, then they should have given it a bigger budget and they should have fucking put it in theaters because the CGI on this movie yeah, was you're terrible. Right. Yeah, you're The right. animals looked couldn't look any faker. So the, the whole fight bear. between the Predator and the bear not only is the predator invisible, but I'm like, that bear looks fake. Like that's not, nothing is real right now. The so I, I'm total. pulling out of it.
1: Yeah. The, the, the bears, and the wolf, was very shiny, like, and like, yeah. it, and you can, it just didn't feel realistic. I mean, I understand. It didn't
0: feel tangible. It felt yeah. like there was a, uh, like an invisible creature fighting a computer generated image.
1: Not to pull from, um, from my own personal, whatever, but like, the, the bear fight in The Revenant is fucking fantastic. Like, it's yeah. so real. And, and like you're saying, where you could have increased the budget just to make even the smallest of something more realistic. To it
0: clearly it is a story or- and like something that the fans were susceptible to. And the fact that studios couldn't see that and fund it is annoying.
1: Mm-hmm. And I would agree this. If this would have gone to theaters, I would have enjoyed that a lot. I am glad that based upon them titling it Prey and not Predator, I was like, oh, no one's going to know it's a Predator film. But luckily enough, we have I guess our IQs have, have jumped rocket and we have uh, people understanding that. But I I think this is not... Uh, what's interesting, though, is so this the director, Dan Trackenberg, he did 10 Cloverfield Lane, which was a yeah. pretty cool Cloverfield. That movie is an insanely underrated thriller. I know nowadays it's getting praised, but and here he is again, doing another prequel to a re- already you know established, uh, I guess you could say, sci-fi action film with Predator. And it kind of makes you wonder, like, is this going to be his career? Because he went six years between films, and like, is he going to be able to do something originally on his own, or is this is kind of like where he not saying like not piggybacking and whatnot, but like,
0: I'm- well, okay, in fairness, Ten Cloverfield Lane was very much its own thing when Dan Trachtenberg brought it to the studios, and then they were like. Let's make it a Cloverfield movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't blame him for that. And I can almost imagine that this could have been the same situation. What if he was just making a movie about like a Comanche girl who is trying to like figure out and be like rise in the ranks and there's some kind of like creature that wasn't necessarily I'm a predator the- and it got bought and then they made it the predator. I think that's just the pitch. Maybe, but I'm just saying I could be I, I would not be surprised to hear if this was the case for this movie as well. But I mean, there, there uh, besides like the CGI there, there was a weird thing with the dialogue. I didn't like how modern it felt when they were talking in English as the Comanches. Like, I honestly could have been fine with there being like very minimal talking throughout the entire movie. And it was just more of like us following this tribe of not English speaking Comanche Indians could have just been like communicating with themselves via their own language. And then when those humans came in, it was so weird having them speaking like a weird foreign gibberish language that, and then the Comanche Indians are in English that just felt it like kind of took me out of the situation. So there were, there were definitely better decisions to be made.
1: So did you know at the end of the film when Nari like when she kills the predator and she's going back to the tribe, the, uh, the gun that she took, the little revolver, was the one from Predator 2 that the Predators gave Danny Glover as a token, like a trophy for killing the Predator.
0: Never seen Predator 2. Oh, my God. I've only seen the first one and the Shane oh. Black one. And this. Doki then. I, I was
1: going to kind of... Well, then that... Predators I is- do
0: like that there is an Easter egg. Just hearing the fact that they thought about it carefully enough to add something like that into the film and not only addressing the first movie, but like the sequel of films is very cool. Cause like, I don't like when franchises just like pretend like things didn't happen.
1: Yeah. So it, it, it's interesting because like uh during the closing credits, you see the cave paintings of like more ships coming from the sky. So it makes you wonder if like there could possibly be a sequel coming out, which I'll, I'll watch it. I mean, I, I watch all fucking Predator movies. Unfortunately, no mm-hmm. matter how, how bad some of them can be, but yeah, just I mean,
0: sucker it, for Predator and Terminator.
1: It's I. Excuse me, get the fuck out of
0: here, Predator. Oh, because you don't watch all of the Terminator movies.
1: I watch them, but I'm not. I'm I'm more into Predator than I am in Terminator.
0: I disagree. Well, I guess in my personal opinion, I was I, gonna say like I, I, I think I, think you I like Terminator more than I like Predator. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean Predator for me, like it, it was always on it was like that, the diehard, all that shit. So yeah, gotcha.
0: But yeah, all right. We can,
1: we can hop on the train now and, and take our yeah destination somewhere else.
0: Yeah, we're finally gonna dip our toes into the wider pool of our conversation for this podcast because Bradley Pitt has headlined a brand new movie in theaters from the director David Leach, who is the director of Atomic Blonde and Deadpool 2. But also he was a co-director on the first John Wick movie, one of maybe the best modern action films of all time, in my opinion. It's one of the best. And a lot of what he was able to bring to those films is carried right over into this movie. This movie has fun, snappy, incredibly like interesting and, again, hilarious dialogue. Like The movie is funny. The action is slick, fast, quick-moving, brutal, violent. Visceral, there's so much going on, and like you can always follow what is happening in the fight sequence. And you just have like a plethora, a train full of incredible characters with all of their individual storylines that all intersect in this one grand tale that they choose to tell with Bullet Train. And I think this movie played out fantastically in the end.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you're saying with David Litch, he was the the stunt though, he was Tom. Yeah. Yeah. Brad pit yeah. stunt man uh, through all, like all the nineties. I mean, and even some of the films he did in the two thousands. So like he has built relationships with him for a long time. And so like hearing people wondering like, well, why would Brad Pitt do a film this silly or this goofy? And I think it just goes to like, he's one of my longest closest friends. Of course I'm going to, I want to want to work with him when the right thing comes to the table. And so, but
0: also you, how do you not want to play a character like ladybug? It's literally just if Brad Pitt, was a secret agent because i feel like at this point in his career brad pitt's very like the goofball zen kind of like lar- like ooh just go with the ebbs and flows of life and like kind of pacifist sort of thing cuz in the in the movie he plays an assassin that like doesn't want to kill people anymore and wants to would rather talk out the situation and i find that incredibly not endearing, but it's just conducive of who Brad Pitt really is, which makes the character that much more likable in my opinion, because he's Brad Pitt. Yeah, I thought
1: he he was very sly in this film, and I, even from the trailers, you kind of had a feeling of what you were going to get from at. and just with Brad Pitt in his last couple films, I know with, with, with just the recent Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, his character had had more of him in it than than his other films, to say the least. But I guess it was, it was great to see um, Brad Pitt like do something like this uh, just a ball out action film that would suspend your belief in a lot of scenes and they kept it very much uh, inside the train which is awesome uh, and then it, it has characters that you can attach yourself to like you know oh this is my favorite and like more reasons to like the film I mean I personally came out of this especially on my second viewing was like Aaron Taylor Johnson
0: what did you see it the second time wait a minute
1: what do you mean I did the, the fan the fan thing with my oh mom, and, and then
0: you watched it with me yeah,
1: yeah. I, I would say Aaron Taylor Johnson I mean the, his stash like that that's competing with Miles Teller there and yeah in I, saw I mean talk
0: about that Lemon and Tangerine are are the scene stealers of this movie yes. the 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 way they were able to establish their bond and their brotherhood in such a quick fashion and the extremely unique way that they're able to give us both a moment of tragic disappointment where one of them thinks they lost the other, but then like we get both moments from both sides. That's super unique, super well-written. And I, and I really, I didn't, I don't know that I loved it when it happens, but the more I think about it, I'm like, that's just good. Cause that is different. The other one. Oh, their performances are on, so fucking phenomenal
1: on top of what you're talking about. But with them too, there's just really good inner storyline with this film that plays out the entire way. I guess you could say it pays off, but the Thomas the Tutu train where you have Brian Tyree Henry talk about how like, you know, I watched Thomas and he tells me everything I need to know about people. And he like stickers them. And, you know, the big thing is like you're the like the diesel and the whole film. People are like denying that they're the diesel. And there's this big payoff at the end where you are revealed the diesel. And in a moment of like unfortunate comings, uh, it just it, it kind of helps carry the plot and like why this is in there. I know people we're not a fan of like that many storyline, but it's like, does that really it's, Dude, you?
0: It's a film full it's, of tangents and yeah. plot threads and every single one right. of them gets yeah. stitched into place by the end. Mm-hmm. You, and I gotta they, say
1: even bad Bunny, Af- he had such a, like a really cool backstory and they didn't need to become very elaborate with it. Like it just shows you a quick, like maybe three minute scene mm-hmm. of like his rise to quickly
0: edited, but Af- like very, very, uh,
1: informational
0: i mean not not but like right but it's successful at divulging the information that we needed to know for the character Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. then there's people like bad bunny who get introduced and like given a whole backstory just to be in a fight sequence and then die for the rest of the movie or we get in act two we get a whole new plot thread with zazzy beats character who also gets fucking murked right off the bat and yeah, Like I just said, it's it's how all of these little threads and all these different characters and all these different story points have been stitched together into this one through line that is really what is the most impressive about this movie. I, It was throwing so much at you for the first two acts. I'm like, how is this all going to pay off at the end? And by God, when I tell you when we meet that villain at the end that it fucking pays off, I am not lying. I mean, I kind of don't want to ruin the reveal because (laughs) I myself was genuinely surprised by the villain reveal. Because your boy who watches trailers and looks at movie news totally forgot one of the main actors that is supposed to be in this movie, and then when he showed up at the end, I was genuinely blown away. So I'm not going to rob anyone from that experience.
1: But well, and speaking of that, there's also two cameos that are really fun. Three
0: cameos
1: three. No, one's one was advertised in the trailers, and I just saw her in a TV spot this
0: morning, so... The... Which his one, handler, His handler. Oh, yeah. that... Well, I didn't know that was advertised, but... Yeah. The,
1: the, I still
0: consider it a cameo. It's still funny.
1: Well, it was supposed to be Lady Gaga, but they had to do reshoots for House of Gucci, and so they had to...
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that would have been and worse. Since,
1: and since there was um Lost City that came out earlier this year that Brad Pitt was on, it was more of a favor. Um, for the two so it was i mean
0: i and then sandra bullock Bullock after that was like hey uh i have this little buddy guy that i just did a movie with any chance we could throw him into the movie and make him a little like sexually curious Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) uh no i mean the the i think the best thing about this film is it knows what it is it it takes itself serious and funny but in telling its story and i think the action is, you know, like I said, you can suspend your belief on a lot of it, but it's, it's fun. And I, I think it's great that Brad Pitt's able to have each scene with these guy, these assassins
0: and every single, he has chemistry with everyone in this movie. It's ridiculous. Literally everyone in the movie.
1: Yeah. I, I knew when it was, when it was in the process of being made, I was like, this, this could be, this could be fun. And then for a, you know, a summer where we haven't had many action films, I think this was a nice, one to end on and it did very well in the box office you know 30 million led the week number one and and you kind of hope that it's one that uh in terms of just just holding weekly it could do that i mean it was i want to say it was delayed but i don't think it 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 hurts anything by that so and at least it's not on streaming you know we get a real action film that got released in theaters unlike the fucking gray man which was just an atrocity on its own right This, (laughs) this was at least more better and more, you know, I guess uh, I don't even know. Real is not the word, but just it, the action was fun. I mean, it's uh, yeah, I I would say um, it's certainly a recommendation nonetheless. I mean, it's it's Brad fucking Pitt. Like, what more, what more do you do you need to sell your film, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, and it also it also has a lot of like Eastern filmmaking, like like Japanese and Chinese filmmaking homages to it, so people who are fans of that are going to love it. People who are fans of just high caliber, like action films, they're going to like this. The CGI is not the best. The train is kind of like flying around and breaking into pieces by the third act. And like, you're like, all right, come on. But other than that, dude, this is a really highly entertaining movie. Yeah.
1: And I will say, I'm actually looking forward to, David Leach's next film, The Fall Guy, which was starring Ryan, which stars Ryan Gosling. And it's a Hollywood stuntman. It's who-
0: all about the game. It's a video game adaptation for Fall Guys. A-
1: absolutely not. Uh, it's a Hollywood stuntman who moons light as a bounty hunter to make more money. And I think that could be. That's fucking Barry.
0: No, that's Barry.
1: literally Barry, though. Okay, well, why don't you watch Barry and tell me where the whole Barry is? An assassin
0: oh, who's also trying to break out into Hollywood. It's very similar.
1: It's a Hollywood stuntman bounty hunter. Barry is about a hitman who becomes a stand up act like he does
0: acting, he does like improv acting. Improv- oh, come on, that's bounty hunter, uh, hitman, improv- B- actor, stuntman. Like, like come on,
1: that's not. I could get the Barry okay. expert on here. That's not Barry. Fine. Okay. It's very Barry. Good to know. Okay. All right. Well, when that comes out, I, I can't wait for you. Have you even seen Barry? Oh, nah. my God. What the fuck are you even talking here then? Okay. I know well, what Barry is about.
0: I know what it is about. And it's, that is it, us this theme is similar exactly. to this movie concept. That's
1: that's us getting off bullet train, but staying on Brad Pitt. And we are going to talk immersively about, I mean, I would say he's certainly in my top five actors working i mean i just got done watching nearly 23 24 movies of his there's even some i watched last year that i didn't I didn't rewatch, but he is just uh, an actor that when he has something coming out like i definitely want to i want to see what he does he has quite the um the, the chiseled like i was telling you like his jawline is very sharp but yeah i mean brad brad pitt like he's he's done his hands across films in the 90s the 2000s 2010s he's had he's done cameos small work and he's he's worked his way uh, through the top and so it's really really cool Uh, uh, us getting into him and what he's done we're just going to go through um,
0: we're each going to go and select three movies inside of a 10 year decade period uh, from Brad Pitt obviously his level of involvement in the film is going to vary but mainly focusing on movies where he plays a prominent role uh, starting in the nineties, which is his earliest decade where he has some of his absolutely biggest and probably best performances of all time within that decade, uh, starting off with uh, maybe one of his absolute best of all time. And that's in the Ralph Bakshi film. Cool. World. (laughs) I I think Brent, did you freeze? Have I lost you? I'm going to let you. Okay. He's still here. You're just you're just waiting. Uh, No, that is that is a joke. Cool World because Cool World is not a good movie. Um, For those of you who are uneducated as to what Cool World is, uh, it is a Roger Rabbit style film with a where there are live action actors alongside just animated characters. Uh, Ralph Bakshi is a very famous animator from the 70s and 80s. He did things like Fritz the Cat and the Wizards, and he also did like the the original Lord of the Rings animated adaptation that literally is the reason why the uh, Peter Jackson wanted to make the Lord of the Rings movies. So he is a huge name in animation and this is actually his last film he ever got to work on. And it's so long story short, Brad Pitt is like a world war II veteran who goes home to his mother immediately gets her into a motorcycle accident that kills her. And then because of it, he is transformed into a cartoon universe where he becomes a detective, where his job is specifically to stop cartoons from having sex with humans, because if they do, it'll destroy the universe. And, Come on.
1: And one of those humans is Kim Basinger. And I must. Uh, well,
0: yeah. I must, well I, one I must... of those humans and cartoons, dude, Hollywood is up there with like I, Jessica I, rabbit as like overly sexualized cartoon characters.
1: How much how much time do we have for me to talk about Kim Baxter in the nineties? Yeah. Oh, she's, oh my god, dude. It is what kind and, of podcast and, and, is this turning into?
0: <laughs> right? This well, they, they play that so high up in this movie. The uh, the story's trash. The 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 really it's only a, it's movie. a fun concept. For it's a 90s. really fun concept, oh, and actually fun not a fun story but this is not the movie that ralph Bakshi wanted to make his original pitch for this movie is a cartoon uh hybrid live action film but more of a horror rated r film where um a human person has sex with a cartoon woman and has the, this abomination of a a child and the child is slowly realizing he can't exist in either the human or the cartoon world. And he starts losing his mind because of it. And he goes psychotic and he goes to kill the, the, the father in the human world and like serial killer style goes on a murder spree. Mm -hmm. That was the original story. That is so far from what we got because apparently the studio and specifically Kim Basinger were like, I want this to be more PG 13 and family friendly. So I can show the kids that I go visit at the hospital. Uh, the movie and uh, like give them something like that. And so they fucking just hack and slash his entire story idea and are like fucking figure it out. And the fact that Ralph Bakshi is able to like get all this animation and draw this stuff and these backgrounds in this cartoon and this bizarreness that is this movie is ridiculous. But like the, the fact that Brad Pitt is there to like ground the whole thing as like the live action character. Well, one of the live action characters, is really the one of the most hilarious parts of the movie because he does a really great job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. Have you even seen Cool World in like the last twenty years? Twenty? Oh yeah, twenty years. Yeah,
1: uh, ten probably not. <laughs> okay.
0: But yeah, now, uh, uh, that's my pick. I just I had to pick that movie because it's like it's not a good movie, but it ha- it it touches on a lot of the things that I love, and I think it's hilarious how weird the movie is. Okay, so
1: and I think um, that leaves me to pick my obvious um, my obvious film that I want to start off with. But uh, if if you've heard me discuss this on the pod, I mean, David Fincher is probably one of my favorite directors. And whereas Brad Pitt has done two films with him in this decade, I want to talk about seven because I think seven is simply put one of the darkest displays on humanity that just like in, in terms of film, like what we see out there uh, realistic in its nature and like the way that these killings based on the seven deadly sins are not shown to us, which I actually, the more I watch it, the more I like that part of yeah. it. Like I it's put that
0: in my review. That yes. We only see the aftermath and mm-hmm. the aftermath is just as gruesome and horrifying as getting to actually witness the torture and murder and, and just gruesome mind bending shit that John Doe does to these people. Just hearing about it is enough.
1: Yeah. This film, uh, it's basically, like I know Brad Pitt has done, he did a couple films prior to this that were had box office success. So he was no stranger when this film came out. And whereas David Fincher was, but he
0: was not, he was, he wasn't Denzel Washington. That's for sure.
1: And Yes. And so uh, this film carried, I would say, with Morgan Freeman, his heavyweight title himself as an actor. And he's fucking fantastic in this one himself as Somerset. But Brad Pitt comes in and like you're just saying, yeah, uh, Denzel Washington was uh, wanted for this role and he viewed it as it was too sinister. And, you know, once he saw it, he regretted it, which is one of those things that comes with Hollywood. Sometimes you don't know how a film's going to be received just seeing how um, how dark it could be or how light in a way but this one is just very vicious and it's i mean the way the movie is i i mean i'm not as <laughs> i i'm i don't even know like i maybe i should be looked at uh, the fact that i've watched this three times already this year but nonetheless uh i mean this this is a great film uh and definitely for like a character study on detectives and how they you know the way they work within these ca- their cases and i just like this film uh, find it more fun to watch it with people that haven't seen it before. And I learn new things about it all the time. And I think for, for Brad Pitt, this was a really good uh, stamp in nine, in the 95 in the year 95, because he had something else that came out that earned him, um, him some more recognition. So it had a small box office, but didn't it just today at the rewatch factor is probably one of his top tier uh, rewatch films.
0: So, yeah rewatch like I I can't believe how much I got out of the rewatch specifically when we watched it the other night but that's the testament to this film going into it I I'm a later in life movie fan unfortunately that means a lot of the biggest twists and turns in history of film have been revealed to me before I even got to sit down and watch the movie so the first time I watched seven I knew what's in the box I knew it so I was just like, how do we get to that moment? And that's what I'm thinking the entire time I'm watching the movie. But this time, knowing what not only what was in the box, but like how it's played out and like who the guy is and all that stuff. It allowed me to focus on the details of the movie. This movie has an incredible amount of rewatchability because as you're watching it, the more you watch it, the better you're going to be able to piece the story and the mystery of the, the whole thing together as they are in the movie. You're going to pick up on more stuff there. All the details are laid out for you in like a perfect way. I mean, seven really is the atmospheric and dark and disturbing crime noir thriller. It's, it's the movie. It's so much so that you watch this movie side by side with the Batman. And you're like, they're shooting this in Gotham city. Like literally seven takes place in Gotham or vice versa and it's the rooms in like apartments where there are murders, they look the same and the, the streets look the same and the rain it's p- pulling so much from seven because seven is so iconic and it's such, it, and I know, like I said, it's yeah. the movie and it's the noir movie, the, 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 the that, crime uh, thriller.
1: Yeah. And I, and I know what's really special about the film is at that, that time, uh, I know it hasn't this easily hasn't aged well, but they never advertised Kevin Spacey on the film. Uh, and so he would when he popped up in the film, yeah, and yeah. I mean, the killer, that's that's like today. That's like I mean, that's honestly probably like seeing a Leo or a Brad Pitt popping up in a film where he's the killer and you just don't know about it. And the marketing agreed to not show him because if you rewatch the film and you know that, or even if you know, he's in the movie and you're watching it and he's like, Oh, well this actor hasn't, where is he? Yeah, exactly. And they haven't shown the killer yet. It's going to eliminate.
0: Never happens anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Like luckily, like what I said Uh with bullet train, luckily my dumbass forgot who the villain in the movie was going to be because I forgot he was in there. So I got that moment. But that's just not the case for now for like things nowadays and studios. They don't have the like wherewithal to like make that risk and not advertise that they're big ass stars in the movie. Like they have to tell people nowadays mm-hmm. and it sucks. But this movie did it and they did it first and it did it perfectly. Like, yes, all of the shit aside with Kevin Spacey, he's a terrible human being. But God damn it, if he doesn't give the the the, the, the speech in the back of the car in the third act where he's just revealing the, the d- atrocities that he believes that man has uh, d- gone and d- and delivered in their li- in the lifetime. It's like just like his complete disdain for humanity and, and, and him going back and forth with Brad Pitt and by th- Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman are literally the driving forces of this movie. It doesn't work as well if it's not for these two characters and these two personalities played by these two actors but they get the the conversation in the car that leads to like the one of the greatest climax and climaxes in film history. So yeah, I mean, if you you haven't watched it yet,
1: what what are you you doing?
0: It's one of those situations, man, like infinity war where like, I hate to say it, but spoiler alert, big spoiler alert. This will be the last thing I say about seven. It's one of those movies where like infinity war, the villain wins. He gets everything he wanted in the end. And that is cathartic in a sense, because like you're ending the movie with an incredible sense of dread because everything that he wanted came to pass and it sucks. Yeah. And that's how you have to walk out the theater. So it's amazing. But there, the end of the spoilers, you can come back, come back, turn, turn on mute. Now we'll move on to my next pick, which I I guess I'll just go right into it because we're already talking about Fincher and him working with Brad Pitt. So I will just go ahead and pick the other one with maybe my, probably my favorite Brad Pitt movie. It is my favorite David Fincher movie, and that's Fight Club, because that is that is a movie unlike seven where the the where the the twist of the film did not get spoiled for me. And it genuinely blew me away the first time I watched this movie. And now every time I rewatch the movie, I see it in a different light. I see it through the eyes of someone that knows what's going to happen in the end and to like see the story pan out and how they keep to these perfect details so that they don't astray from the twist at the end is one of the best part of, of rewatching the movie. I mean, it's brutal. Brad Pitt plays one of his best characters of all time, Tyler Durden is an incredibly likably unlikable guy that you just like, can't help but listen to. And Ed Norton is like the perfect protagonist in this movie because he is so, he's seemingly so meek and under like unwhelming and like not someone you would see or feel intimidated by, but then he goes through this film and shows you how he is. And I know I'm breaking the number one rule of Fight Club by talking about it, but I can't help it because I love this movie so much. Yeah, Fight Club is,
1: I mean, that's the power of. You're
0: hard pressed to find two better movies from the same decade, same actor, same director, that are as good, like, that are both as good as these two movies. Like yeah. you're like, I can't think of one, maybe Spielberg with uh, like Jurassic park and Schindler's list, but that's it. I mean, then that came out the same year. Um, Holy shit. Yeah. That dude, that still blows my mind, but that's another conversation. Well, and like you're saying
1: though, I mean, internet movie database has seven and five club rank, rated in the top 20, two films like that, same decade. And like you're saying with the collaborators, uh, like that. same decade, I, same I, actor,
0: I, same yeah. director.
1: I love, I love that duo, and Fight Club is just a film where, like you're saying, it's, it's really fun watching it with someone that hasn't seen the twist. And even when you're watching it, Ugh. there's so many clues as as you're watching it that I, points out to it, which helps film. that even more. It's uh, so it's, good. It's, it's fantastic. And, I mean, I mean... Helena Bonham Carter
0: also, I don't want to go without mentioning her because she's also one of, like, the linchpins of this movie. I don't think it works as well. If you're not also like having this character who is kind of disgusting, but also you feel that weird sexual attraction between the characters and the whole time. And it's, I don't know. It's she's, she's, she's a unique yeah. actress and I think fits the character that they're trying to portray perfectly. And there might not be another one.
1: I would say the strength of this film has is that the, you don't get the narrator, like the narration. Oh yeah. Being on point and being, uh, in terms of like respectful to the story, but very crucial, obviously, because some narration and films are just like boring and you don't care. But like how Edward Norton goes about this one, it, it's it's simply
0: fantastic. it's engaging. It's, it's yeah. really engaging. It keeps the story moving. And it's the dri- it's like another one of those driving forces. Uh, I just thought of something, though, if they did remake Fight Club for any reason, which is stupid. Aubrey Plaza could probably play the hell in a bottom Carter character. Oh fuck,
1: dude. Okay, right. Yes, and you know, you know who would be a really good lead. Edward Edward Norton, not Brad Pitt's character. Edward. Well, I
0: was gonna say <laughs> Timothy Chalamet right off the bat, just because oh. I think he could be like that, like scrawny, meek guy. But yeah, okay. what? Well.
1: well, and okay, so Timothy Chalamet as uh, Edward Norton's character, and then Adam Driver as Brad Pitt's character.
0: I also like Adam Driver as the fucking, oh shit. I really <laughs> like Adam Driver as the, uh, the like, Ed Norton character. Like, I can see him in the suit and tie, but then I can also see him Ooh. beating the bloody shit out of Meatloaf. What, if, what about? peace. What about? RIT Big Tid
1: Bomb? You, you get Adam Driver as Ed Norton and then John Burstall plays Brad Pitt's character. Uh, and I love the Audrey Plaza. Like, I'm not. Just,
0: I don't know. I think you just get Brad Pitt again. All right. He's ageless, so who cares? <laughs> I
1: mean, okay. All if right. We'll, we'll add it backpack, but hold like hold back on. in his body in this movie is insane. Yeah, like
0: he is, there's he that is one shot at it. I don't
1: even know if like if that level is something you can get to, but fuck.
0: Anyway, there's gotta be some CGI tone and heck going on there. There's no way, dude. Like, but literally he it's I feel like we're already spending too much time on it, but he's so fucking cut and it's like ah god he's like but it's like he's okay, so ripped but it makes fight sense club. oh spoiler alert oh, fuck. you're not oh, supposed I to that. talk
1: about fight club i know i know I, on the last note with this i really enjoy that when you go and log it in letterbox letterbox will ask you are you ready to break the first rule of fight club yeah. about it
0: dude letterbox has a lot of those little like easter eggs like with uh I'm everything everywhere someone. all at once or the portrait of the lady someone. on fire
1: yeah yeah uh, yeah. So I guess what I'll pick, uh, a film and I, I don't I mean, in terms of like what Brad Pitt has done a lot is he works with just some of the best directors in that, in that time. And and I'm going to look at 12 monkeys with that directed Terry Gilliam.
0: Oh no. Really? Yeah.
1: Well, I, I wanted to highlight, you know,
0: I'm a big Gilliam guy.
1: Well, you had a rater lower than me, so I didn't expect you to. I do. Her. Well, I, I can let like, I can let you talk about this one. Well, because I mean, we're doing this. This no, is we got to Honestly,
0: I'm I'm glad we're we're gonna have a couple of matches because this is gonna end up being a long episode. We could talk forever about Brad Pitt. Uh, but no, this is great. We'll just knock my third one out, and you, this is your second one, and then you'll go again. So, um, the,
1: I I just I think this is a a very um an underrated film in its way that like time travel is captured. I think that that part is done very neatly. Mm-hmm. And when you're introduced to Brad Pitt's character inside this mental institution, like it's, you don't expect like how important he's going to become within the story. And he just takes it to another level and this earned him his first Oscar nomination. And so of course I want to like talk about that. Cause this is the same year he did uh, seven. And so like people, Brad Pitt's becoming a household name and that's what you like to see. And he's going toe to toe with Bruce Willis. And at that time he was one of the, this, this, the hugest action icon. And he was so, the guy. Yeah. And so like it, it it you get Brad Pitt working with you know a visionary director, and then he's also being able to share the screen with some of Hollywood's perfectly leading men because he just did it with Morgan Freeman. So I, I I like this film. If you haven't seen that one, I, I think that's a good film, especially with what we're talking about with endings. Like it's a it's an ending that you don't see coming. So and definitely don't want to spoil that one.
0: So yeah, I mean, like I said, Terry Gilliam. Uh, from Monty Python fame, the one American Monty Python member, uh, is one of my favorite visionary directors because what he does is so much larger than I think what a lot of directors are capable of because he refuses to hold back. And that is so apparent in this movie when it comes to the production design and the visuals and just like the absolute epicness of the city that we're seeing in this post-apocalyptic future. I mean... No, it's not a Terry Gilliam script, which like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is maybe one of my favorite written films of all time. You could read that movie and still get that much out of it. Well, maybe because it's based off of a book, so never mind. But uh, this is very, every bit uh, Terry Gilliam film in the way that it feels and the performances and like I said, the visuals and production design and costumes. And you're right. It is one of the very best ways of, I think or most interesting ways of showing time travel. Uh, so I, I especially love that kind of stuff from him. But I mean, Bruce Willis in this movie, like, yes, this is the Brad Pitt podcast, but he comes to work. Like you, all oh, you never know what you're going to get from a Bruce Willis performance. And like, he is all in and like nuanced and in, in very much in contrast with the Brad Pitt character, throughout the majority of the film. So that's also really good. But I mean, it's it, the way the, this movie depicts like a dystopian future and the dichotomies between like deep philosophical themes and just like the crazy weirdness that Terry Gilliam is presenting to your face. Uh, it, yes. It's not the best movie in my opinion. Like you said, I do have it rated a little bit lower than you, but I do find it wholly unique and for that reason, worth mentioning without a doubt.
1: I, I mean, easily, and then I mean, also has Madeline Stowe, which that to save that conversation. But oh, no, sure, she, she's beautiful. Uh, I'll I'll take uh just to kind of like wrap up the the nineties here. Um, a film that I personally like. Uh, I know a lot of people. Uh, are more on the different side of it, but I I really like his performance in Legends of the Fall, um, the film
0: with. Well, all right, finally, not something. Now you got to sell me on this because this is not something that I
1: have seen. Well, it's a it's like a romance drama film, so like that. And I'm out. <laughs> but this
0: <laughs> this was Shark Take. I'm out.
1: This this is like uh, an interesting time, uh, an interesting like plot film based on like the three bullets and two of them fall for the same woman. And it's just it's an interesting way that they they capture the film. And Brad Pitt shares a screen with Anthony Hopkins. And I think he learns a lot from him and he carries it into like more films. But I just I, you know, sucker for fucking romance. And this one has some of and I know we're going to get deeper into it. But Brad Pitt crying is like some of the best damn shit I see on screen. Uh simply mm-hmm. like there's a bunch of that in this movie, and I like the cinematography with it a lot. So uh it's a, not as long as it might think, you know, just over two hours and like 10 minutes, but I think it's a uh it's a pretty damn good film. So and he worked well,
0: your with, friend Jack didn't like it.
1: Yeah, and he worked with <laughs> in this film, which like we said, like he he works with some respectable directors. Yeah, okay, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> so we can jump Edward to another decade. Zwick. I don't think uh, there's really not entirely uh, too much that came out. Um, Anything else to like not mention or whatever. So we can go. Yeah, no, Uh I
0: mean the nine, like, like you said, the nineties are just like so early in his career that it's, I mean, there's, a lot more bit performances and not as many starring roles. Well, could, I mean, yeah, we could, could i mean we could talk about interview with a vampire for a little bit if you want to but
1: no i was just i was just gonna say like we did, the first time we got to like really see him on screen where people were like you know who is this guy was true romance where he, sure. uh, he and that's like the first time that people really got to become familiar with him so
0: <sighs> yeah, we but, can, yeah.
1: We can do the 2000s though now and I I think we both will have a good share on this one.
0: Oh, for sure because in the 2000s he finally got to work with the Coen brothers in one of I what I think is their most underrated films, Burn After Reading. I mean, dude, that something you can say about every Coen brothers movies is it's original. It's entertaining and it's intelligent. Uh, but the funniest part about this movie is it's another it's another film like the Big Lebowski that like after all the ridiculous bullshit goes and like goes forward. It literally amounts to nothing and it doesn't fucking matter in the end. And that's the best part about this movie, because the you, there's a kidnapping plot and, or no not kidnapping. Uh, there's not kidnapping blackmail. They're blackmailing. There's like a blackmailing scheme where, and there's a woman who wants elective surgery and there's George Clooney. He's cheating on everyone with their mother. And Tilda Swinton is married to John Malkovich. And it's just, there's it's an, it's a movie where so many things are happening. And again, at the end, like the, all these, Ridiculous situations come to terms, and none of it fucking matters. And literally, I think J.K. Simmons sums it up best. And he's like, "What a clusterfuck!" Learn- at the end of the movie, he literally says that. He's like, "What do we learn? I guess nothing. Not to do it again." All right. <laughs> yeah, it, it, and I, it's such a it's a great movie, and Brad Pitt it literally steals every scene he's in. He is a f- hilarious character. He's basically like the gym trainer guy that's on that has adhd that never can just sit down and relax he's constantly like listening to music and dancing and is all over the place but is somehow in charge of this blackmail scheme uh it's so funny and it's so i think again original and intelligent and i think it's a one of those cohen brothers movies that more people need to see
1: Well, it's also just one of those cast is huge if, if you feel like um you don't get it. It's okay. We're here for you. Um, it's a hilarious film,
0: dude. If you don't get it, though, that's oh, that's the point.
1: I, I, yeah, well, yeah, no, I think there, there comes times where like movies where like you just have to be older to like them. Like you can't and you can't be force fed to watch it if you take a Cohen's class. Like you're just gonna hate yourself. So that just comes, with, <laughs> that just comes with the nature of it. But this film. I mean, it's it's a it's a beautiful 90 minute. You're not asking for a whole lot. You can you know, you're always wanting to watch movies where you can turn your brain off and not have to think entirely too much. And this film does a really good job at just bringing you a bunch of characters. You actors that you like to see and characters that are on screen. And George Clooney is fucking hilarious in this. And Fred Pitt
0: and John. And there's there's nothing to not like. And even and dude, oh, my God, one of the funniest people in this movie i thought was richard jenkins because he's just so fucking sad the whole movie just basically like the francis mcdormand's boss character who is secretly in love with her and he ends up like in the worst of situations by the end of the movie like literally murdered with an axe and it's just depressing because he's so sad he's such a sad guy <laughs> yeah.
1: and and the thing that i enjoy with every every time i watch this whatever but you just brad pitt is a gym trainer but he wears cargo shorts the whole time <laughs> and it's just it's fucking awesome it's it's awesome yeah uh, dude, they
0: hardly reference it like they don't know, reference dude. the shorts he just looks ridiculous and that's part of the movie and they're never addressing it Mm-hmm. It's like you said. It's one of those ninety-minute movies, but in the same sense, it's a ninety-minute movie that feels longer in a good way, like because you're getting so much movie packed inside this little thirty-minute run or ninety-minute runtime. Yeah.
1: So what I'll go ahead and and discuss is uh, more so, I mean, I I think of film films. I'll do a whole trilogy here because he plays the same character, but uh, the Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's 12, Ocean's 13. This is just a fun, fun trilogy. Bro, uh,
0: they never even go to the ocean in any of these movies. It's fucking ridiculous. Well, I mean, that's that's because,
1: I mean, the character's name. Okay. I know. Uh, but yeah, George Clooney. Uh, yeah, George Clooney. But yeah, Mad yeah. Damon. Brad Pitt. Don Cheadle. Yeah, this, this Don Cheadle cast. Uh, it's fantastic. Casey watching, Affleck. Watching the the 11 of them, but just- the, Bernie Mac. If you Madden. want a heist film, this is always a great one to go to. Ocean's- all of them are great ones to go to. Ocean's That's the 11. thing
0: about the franchise.
1: I, I like Ocean's 11, obviously, the most, but as I get older, Ocean's 12.
0: I'm a 13 has fun. guy.
1: Ocean's 12 has its fun. Uh, like I said, just one of those films that you get the older you are, the more cool it is. But I mean, he just, Ryan Brett Pitt's mostly just playing himself as Rusty Ryan. I, I think he just, he. There's not a whole lot he's bringing to it, but he just has that charisma and it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's, it's fun. You can put it on
0: the coolest guy in town and he, and he, that's like the shtick he gives off and it's perfect because guess what? Brad Pitt is probably the coolest guy in your town. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: from St. Louis, he's definitely one of the coolest. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, no, it's, it's a great, you know, collection of, some of Hollywood's best actors, and you got you got them early in the 2000s, and this is also Steven Soderbergh, so with another director that Brett's yeah. working with that is just fucking fantastic and at the top of their games.
0: I so mean, awesome. Steven Soderbergh's established his heist film style with these movies, and like has gone on and used that in plenty of other films, like Logan Lucky or whatever. And now, I mean, we the the re and again, the reason these movies work is because of the people they have performing these heists and the elaborateness of the heists and how well-written these characters are and how well-written the plots are. And so all of them work super well because it's all just a reteaming of these same great minds and great actors. So you can watch any of them. And like there is, it's one of those conversations where it's a trilogy of films where any one of them you can see being the best. But I will go from that to maybe one of the most iconic pairings between actor and actress of any film ever because it led to real life nuptials. Uh, That would be uh, Brad Pitt. I almost said Kevin Smith. I'm so out of it. Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie in Mr. And Mrs. Smith, which I actually only watched for the first time just the other day. I had never seen it before, uh, but I, I, I knew the concept of it being two spies married to each other. They don't know the one that the other is a spy and they're assigned to kill each other. And so like the uh, incredible action and fighting ens- ensues. And um, I think Doug Lyman, the director handled all that very well. He handled the, the story very well, the action very well, and the performances were fantastic. I just, Oh, man, I couldn't get over the the 2000s cheese of it all because there were so many like innuendos and one liners and they were like forced comedy bits. And so the, I that that I couldn't get over, even though the action and the characters and the fucking sexual chemistry was very real and very there. So. I mean, it's like, a great, I mean, it's a great movie. It's iconic and I, and uh, Brad Pitt and Angelina are, are fantastic, but it is, I don't think it's going to end up being one of my favorites.
1: Well, uh, how you oh, it open that up with where it brought nuptials, but it also brought like one of the sickest divorces in Hollywood. Cause sick, bro because uh, uh, I mean obviously at that time he was yeah no
0: one of the kids. messiest divorces for sure
1: it's it's not uh I know a lot of people can only see that movie that way but if you look at it as it's just you know the two actors and they're playing those characters I think this film is fucking fantastic uh, it made half a billion dollars I mean yeah that okay like I
0: told is, me that and I was legitimately it, blown away by yeah, that
1: statistic it's going to be fantastic that we're getting a t- uh, TV show with accurate Donald, Glo- uh, Donald oh. like that's going to uh-huh. be
0: Donald Glover, baby.
1: Going to be something special. And and once again, like Doug Lyman is a how like his action films are just out of this.
0: Re- yeah, they're really good. He, he the 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 gunfighting, the, the like hand to hand combat, the like knives, like all of it was handled so great. It's easily the best part of this movie. It's an incredible action film. It, it's just when they were to like having their awkward conversations and like little one liners and jabs at each other. That I'm just like oh yikes, yeah no I
1: I, I enjoy this film. It has a, a very good uh, high rewatch value too. So,
0: but, but yeah, up uh, for ya.
1: I will go ahead and just finish off the um <laughs> the David Fincher trifecta here with Benjamin Button. Um, All righty, uh, this is the I mean me personally uh, I love this film uh, a lot like. I mean, it was the first David Fincher film I saw in theaters. Uh, it was one of those where, like, you you, you see it the first t- uh, the right time, and it just really like changes how you are with things. And like, I know the 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 plot concept about you know someone aging in reverse is going to throw people differently, but I think David Fincher's approach to it could not have been done better. And Brad Pitt's performance is just very much believable, uh, because he he takes it obviously serious, uh, and so. There's a lot of heart with this film based on Cate Blanchett's character. And if mm-hmm. you know me, Cate Blanchett is, um, yeah, she's high up there. <laughs> so she is a, f- a fantastic actress on her own. And seeing the chemistry that her and Brett Pitt have, uh, especially when they're at the closest of their age, considering this film's plot. I just, I find it beautiful. And every I mean, I just, I like this film a lot. Uh, especially just um, the setting it takes place in with uh, New Orleans and the journey that Brad Pitt's character goes on and the characters he meets. Uh, he meets a handful of, of interesting people and the way it, it kind of tells its story about life and its growth. Like, I, I think there's a lot to take from it. And David Fincher's direction for that and Brad Pitt's action I or acting, I, I like this one a lot. Um, it is of length, I will say, but I think you get a lot of that, especially if you'd be patient with it. The, the story Um, has a lot to get from that. And I mean, it was one of those films that the Academy Awards um, really, really liked. I believe it had like nine nominations. It it had quite a bit. Um, It it won three, but it had one. I swear to God, if it won visual effects. it 13 nominations. That's great. Um, And so like that goes to show you it it won for uh, art direction, makeup and visual effects. So... (laughs) God damn it. it-
0: <laughs> that old man baby doesn't look good.
1: Well, at 2008 though,
0: yeah, it looked all right. Maybe uh, what I'll say about this movie is I think the, the strongest part of this movie is not the concept of like some, a man aging in reverse, which is like very unique in in and of itself, but it's the fact that they have such a strong romantic story to tell between the two main characters and like their that, like their love being timeless in like a world where they're aging they, like in opposite directions but like when they're able to be together they have the that's the, when they're at the, the the happiest time of their lives so just the display of emotion and and again just like romantic love between these characters with this weird affliction that one of them has to deal with is the best part of the movie.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I don't know what more I could say, except for like, if you haven't watched it, it's definitely a worth watching film. It's, it has uh, I know it's one of those films that my brother actually likes, and it's very hard to get him to like anything that's over two hours. Um, But like, I I remember when I recently was down there, like this was a film that we watched and, and it's, it has it has a lot of things you can take from it, but I obviously sucker for Fincher and Brad Pitt. And I, uh, I know this is like the, the discussion of those three, but I really hope that um, they do one more film together or like the next time they team up, we get at least get that before it's all said and done. So, because they, when they, when they work, a the lot of magic happens. And so you like seeing that on screen and within cinema.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, all right. So I think it's, it's a point. It's like, a, it makes sense to point out this because we've mentioned a lot of performances from Brad Pitt, where he is worked with certain directors on multiple, multiple occasions, like your David Fincher's, like your Steven Soderbergh's, but he maybe found his most success when he made his first fourier into the films of one Quentin Tarantino. Who is with it? Glory. Uh, well, just, he's a, if you're, I'm just saying he's someone you should look up. You might like his movies. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Oh, there you go. No. Inglorious bastards is top tier Tarantino. He it's, when Quentin Tarantino gets to rewrite history and like tell his own versions of the historical events, it's, it's some of my favorite shit to watch and his handling of the Nazi, like Nazi situation in world war two and giving us these fictional ragtag group of bastards that are Jewish Americans that are out there for one thing and one thing only killing Nazis Man, it's such a like a, a great action movie. It's a funny movie. It's an insanely tense movie. There's so much that like there's so much tension in so many of these scenes because of one Christoph Waltz, who gives a generational performance, maybe one of the best performances of all time, with Hans Landa, who, I mean, with his mannerisms and his ruthlessness and his sophistication, his intelligence, all these things. Uh, And his general screen presence just elevate this truly terrifying character who isn't like scary because he's being mean or like ruthless or anything. He's scary because he's so good at his job and his job is to hunt down and, and, and find Jewish people. And it's, Oh my God, it's a movie that's broke up into chapters and each chapter could like literally live on its own and be its own best picture, short film or whatever but the way they're then stitched together where all these different groups of people and soldiers are all trying and also cinema owners are all trying to accomplish the same goal of killing Hitler and their stories intertwine into this another climax that is for the ages in film history. And it's an ode to cinema. It's an ode to the people who were completely and utterly, just murdered in, in millions the Jewish people during World War II. And Brad Pitt as Lieutenant Aldo Rain, I think was is equally deserving of the best supporting actor Oscar as Christoph Waltz was, because his character was just as good and unique and iconic as uh, Hans Landa. It was, wasn't even nominated, though, bro. No, it wasn't even nominated. It's no. insane to me. He yeah, he's doing a caricature, but he's doing he's playing the exact character that he needs to be. The conversation he has with the German soldier before the bear Jew comes out and knocks a, his block off with a baseball bat is one of the best. The very ending when they're having the conversation when he's in handcuffs and he's across the table from Hans Landa. Like that is Brad Pitt acting the fucking hell out of this situation. And that's what I was keying into on this viewing specifically. But, yeah, it's one of the great Tarantino movies, easily top five, top two for me or top maybe three or four, actually, for Brad Pitt, because he's in so many great movies. But I have
1: I have I have like some fond memories with this film, because this was one of those rare occasions where like um, I got I was able to get taken out of school early because my mom's boss, my mom's boss wanted to see this and he had and his wife didn't want to. So he was like, do you think your son would want to go watching glorious bastards? And my mom's like, it's all he talks about. So why don't I just go take him out of school and you can go take him to watch it. And so that's what ended up happening. Uh, and, wow. and, we it, it, you know, we caught a three o'clock showing at mid rivers or whatever. And I was like, why am I getting taken out of school, mom? And she's like, well, my both. And I'm like, this is fucking awesome. Like that, that, uh, I miss those days, you know, like, I, I think that was really cool. And, and like you're saying, uh, with how we're coming here but like brad pitt's performance in this one is fantastic it's um his first work with quentin tarantino i know he did the tarantino wrote true romance but this is his first time actually getting to act and on full display with that tarantino brains was films and it's it's fucking awesome and i don't want to like stray into other areas with this film itself but like it's always interesting seeing that like leo was going to be Uh, He was wanted for the role of Hans Landa that Christoph Waltz made so famously, which I'm glad happened because I mean, it it
0: is a what if, but I just don't see it. You can't. It's so hard not to see Christoph Waltz in this role because of what he did with it, which is insane. And uh, I I love that you have like a special thing with this film, because I also like in a way I'm about to do a humble brag a little bit, but. I mean, you got a bunch of the bastards played by like very famous Jewish actors in Hollywood, like one we already talked about earlier, B.J. Novak and another director, actor, Eli Roth. But then you also have Sam Levine, who plays Hirschberg, one of the like literally the smallest of the bastards. And he was also in Not Another Teenage Movie and Freaks and Geeks growing up. And he's someone I actually got the chance to meet at a comedy club the helium comedy club for at a recording of the podcast doug loves movies and i got to tell him how much i love him in In ingorius bastards and how much i love him doing movie trivia online and stuff like that so that's very cool for me and it always is great seeing him in this film because he's not the biggest actor in the world but they went out of their way to find the people that would best represent the bastards as characters and they absolutely did
1: yep it uh it's it's one of the best out there it's it's insane that um you know quentin tarantino still hasn't one of his one of his films has the one best picture but this was like one of the strongest out there it
0: ah yeah easily this dude it this should have won been the contender this so 2000 well but wait before i said that look up what else came out
1: Uh, and hurt locker hurt locker
0: won this year yeah no i would pick this over the hurt locker
1: aviator uh this district nine this Plain
0: District that. Nine was best picture nominated.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Up what? Up in the air, an no. education, precious, a serious man.
0: <laughs> wow, how did this not win? Wow. Uh,
1: her locker one man.
0: Her hard. locker is not as good. Well, but her locker is fucking awesome. It's. Not I, I think as it. As this I think
1: it. Th- this comes uh, with one of those that like, like I guess because it took a while for Quentin to win after the um with the pulp fiction and shit. So like I think Hollywood had something um more so like a not against, but like even that I mean conversation for another day. But <laughs> you know. uh so what I'll go to because I mean that's that's close to I mean obviously ending the two for your,
0: yeah your last your last of the two thousands.
1: And but I think what we'll do here to just oh the last of my yeah two thousands. Yeah 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 yeah. In internet database databases like sliding me around here um i'm i don't have to obviously like talk too much about it but like I, i'm a fan for spy game uh the film that he did with tony scott tony scott one of those directors who you know y- you know you're watching a tony scott film when you're watching it and i think he's one of those underrated action films you
0: may not know who tony scott is but you know you're watching one of his movies <laughs>
1: right uh that's a bumper sticker um, but no what I, I mean I always Robert Redford one of the best presence on the screen and teaming up with Brad Pitt but I, I think what's interesting about this film I rewatched it the other day but like it's action takes place with its mind because it's basically just how can you outsmart the people in the room you're with and Robert Redford just kills it and Brad Pitt. Being like very small on screen with this film character, but I think what's really interesting is the sliding doors moment that this had because he chose to do this film so he can be with Robert Redford and work with Tony Scott. Do you want to know the film that he turned down? Uh, probably not. <laughs> the Born Identity. He was... Um, Heavily like in the running for Jason yeah. Ford, he turned it down. And then that's what led Brad. Jesus Jason, Brad
0: Christ. It. It's not Jason Bourne.
1: So like that, that could have been one interesting uh, sliding doors, I think. But, but he, he, you know, he ventured in a lot of films in this decade. I, I think probably his best, if he was going to win an Oscar for acting, it would have been the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. I think that film is just unfucking believable And Brad Pitt does a fantastic job of playing the outlaw. And if you haven't seen that one, that's a good recommendation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, he just, he continuously works with really, really great directors. And I, think that's a testament to like what he's a, what the ability he can, um, you know, level on the screen, which is awesome. So right. we can go into the next decade here.
0: Yeah. Moving into the 2010s and so on and so forth. Um, I think I will start off with I think I'll do my funniest pick first because it'll be real quick. But it's a movie that I watched just the other day and I rewatched it because I think it's highly underrated. It's another it's an animated film that he is a voice actor part of and he's maybe not the biggest part, but he's definitely like one of the main characters. So I still think it very much counts. But I chose Megamind. Oh, okay. That's fair. You I, think I was going to go happy feet? too, yeah. where he was like bill the krill or whatever. I thought underrated. about it.
1: You're good. Mega underrated.
0: High, high key underrated because it's, it's actually, points. it's a, it's a really <laughs> solid spoof of the superhero movie tropes that are like very much infecting Hollywood today. Uh, I mean the good versus evil and superhero, super villain dynamic is very present in so many movies And the way this is able to like flip it on its ass and make us sympathize for the villain who was just never really given an opportunity to do good and introduced to evil. Like it was the main thing at the very beginning of his life. And you see him like save the day at the end is a really great and inspirational story because it proves that anyone can like be great. And that's awesome. And it's hilarious. It's a funny movie. I mean, you have people like Tina Fey, Will Ferrell, Jonah Hill, and Brad Pitt. You're gonna have a fucking funny movie, and I just I don't know. I don't think I don't think this this is literally one of DreamWorks' most underrated movies, and it's one of the main reasons is it came out in the same year as Minions. This is one of those carbon copy movies, like your Ants, or like a Shark tail Finding Nemo sort of situation where you had two movies from two rivaling animation studios. Both are about the villain as the main character, a supervillain, and both of them literally have minions named Minion. So, someone like is going to get sued, right? But no, they just both come out, and this one kind of got overshadowed by the Incredible Despicable Me run that they the movie went that that movie went on but i still think this is very much worth watching and i think brad pitt as like a superman type character just works too well his voice is so perfect for it so that's mega mind yeah
1: and i think one thing that's really fun about this movie is like if you if you go back to it like every five ten years you'll forget the little twist that comes at the end in the third act and i think that that is one of the strengths of the film Yeah, it's Um, really well uh casting actors, voice actors in that one. Uh, So I'll just go ahead and like address this because you're going to probably wonder as we get through our picks, but we will not be addressing Moneyball on this podcast. because We both are very highly on that film and we know where. And we
0: have, if you, if you'd like to hear our thoughts about Moneyball, please address our baseball (laughs) podcast with my brother, Dean.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, simply put like we spent in a whole episode to dedicated to baseball and and we know what Brad Pitt means to us in Moneyball. So we don't need a ship.
0: Moneyball is top three. We love it.
1: But what I'll what I'll what I'll start off with is a uh, film that I watched yesterday that I think just in, you know, every once in a while there there comes a film where it, it feels like it's speaking to you, you know, like you feel like you can connect to it more than anyone. And not that I've ever been to space, but I think if I ever did, it would be at Astra. Um, I find this film just uh,
0: dad Astra,
1: sad Astra, dad Astra, whatever <laughs> i mean it's all sad it's all sad funny. dastra <laughs> it uh it's a it's a beautiful film uh directed by james gray um and it it's it's about it's in the it takes place in the near future and it's it's about uh, humankind like trying to go out there and search beyond the stars and try and find answers on what could help save earth that's destroying um something that something's destroying life on earth and brad pitt sent out to space to go find his dad because it's believed that he has like the answer for all this stuff and the journey that he goes on just, I mean, it speaks volume in ways of like, uh, you, you're going to search, uh, you're going in the far reaches of space and at that same time you're learning truths about yourself, and I think that if this film, one of those where like if you're patient with it, you get rewarded. Uh, the acting is is unbelievable by Brad Pitt, He carries the entire film, and I like the the cinematography that's on here. The colors, it's it's bright, vibrant. It's beautiful shit, and and I like everything that comes from this film. The score that Max Reacher has, it
0: you, you love it's a smart. lonely space guy movie. I do.
1: I, I mean, this knocks Martian out of the out of the park. I mean, I
0: rewatched. Ooh, I rewatched whoa. this. I. Re-watched,
1: I mean come on you rather be lonely in space with Matt Damon or Brad Pitt I think there's only one answer there
0: Well but- it depends definitely not the Matt Damon that was in Interstellar he was a fucking chode well, Good
1: yeah good good answer there but no
0: you're
1: <laughs> wrong. the one I definitely enjoy and they always you know Hollywood has this thing where like they'll send out uh,
0: Wait can I choose like, can I choose Sandra Bullock
1: <laughs> Hey no that's that's a good one but this is like that time where like Hollywood in that this last like decade and a half where like they'll cast a leading an A-list actor and they'll send him on a space mission. Um, it's w- one of those genres that I actually enjoy a lot, but at that same time, like the space mission has to have some type of meeting. And I think the reason Brad Pitt's out here searching for his father and like connecting to the abandonment part of it, that I, that just really cripples me in a way. I, I just, I love it. Can't really speak any, any more high on it. Um, it's it's a film that got on it. it got yeah it got released uh at a time where like not many people like went out there but i i rewatched this recently as of yesterday and i just i find this film the more and more
0: i i watch it the more i can just um be impressed by it so i'm going to disappoint you for a second so i've watched this movie
1: i'm pretty sure we all watched it together
0: kind of cuz i fell asleep so,
1: so. yeah
0: so i've not revisited that since so i don't totally remember <laughs> a lot of it i know tommy lee jones shows up and he's like dad yeah, yeah. but yeah definitely i i think i think bat brad pitt being as good as he is maybe ad astra deserves a quick re-roll watch
1: yeah and i and I, I know we'll get to it but there's a film from the same year that i think over lapsed this one. And that's why it might not have gotten looked and James Gray's not the most, I mean, he has a film come out this year, but he's not the most like attention seeking director out there, but this film is easily one of those that, you know, it might've gotten missed, but I don't think it should have. Mm.
0: Right. 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 All right. Well then I, I guess my next pick, uh, I am going to go with a movie from one of my favorite comedic directors turn awards caliber directors, Adam McKay. And that is the big short. Oh, wow. Not not yeah. Not only is Brad Pitt like endlessly engaging in this movie, like you like every word that spills out of his mouth is something that you're like, oh, I'm like here and present and want to hear what you have to say, because I feel like what you're saying is incredibly interesting type dialogue that he's spitting out at a rapid fire pace throughout this movie. I mean, all the actors are doing it. But I think what the best part about this film is, is like his like the way Adam McKay uses like fourth wall breaks and camera zooms and the fantastic performances from Brad Pitt and Gosling and Steve Carell and Christian Bale. It's I mean, a movie about the like downfall of the Americans, America's investment economy would be incredibly boring in anyone else's hands, but because of the charismaticness of the actors that he chose for the project and the like great dialogue of the script and the awesome editing style and fourth wall breaks and comedic back tone of the film. It's why this movie works as well as it does with such a dull topic.
1: Yeah. I think th- I recently re I rewatched this like last year, but I remember when I first watched it, I was kind of like not on board with it, not understanding of it. And I think what held me back was like, I was just expecting all these A-list actors to share the screen together. And I didn't get that. And so I was upset. Right.
0: It's it's well, it's almost like the, the same kind of situation with Wolf of wall street. When Matthew McConaughey is out of there at the beginning of the movie. And you're like, Oh shit, we only got a little moment, but the actors make the most of their time in this movie. And that's what I also love.
1: Yeah. And, and I think, uh, I know his last film, Adam McKay did. I would come not on board with, but this one definitely kind of shows. Yeah,
0: and he, we we don't need to talk about that.
1: He can take very interesting storytelling to a new level, and I'm still going to be curious about what he what he goes forward with. Um, I want. Oh shit! His uh on on that note, but I think his next film he's doing um he's doing an Elizabeth Holmes biopic with Jennifer Lawrence, so that will that might be interesting.
0: So we'll we'll see. But what about Millie Bobby Brown? Mm. She's already Holmes's sister. Wait, is who is Elizabeth Holmes?
1: She's that big tech person that like took my wow. big companies and lied about how. She oh,
0: was. the fucking uh, whatever Netflix show. series thing. Hulu series, yeah. Um. You don't
1: know I mean I just, that's an, uh, kind of surprised you picked that one, but yeah. Uh, so I'll, uh, I know which one you want to talk about, so I'm gonna save that one. Yeah. Too, but uh, but I'll obviously speak highly on uh, Quentin Tarantino, Brad Pitt's second collaboration Perfect. together. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, I watched this.
0: I out. hope to God it's also not their last. Like I know Tarantino don't, like got much much, mo- I, he don't got more. He don't got more, much more movies in him. And if this next one is his last, I want Brad Pitt in it.
1: Um, so once upon a time in Hollywood, the best way to describe this film is that it is a hangout. It is a vibe. Everything in this film <laughs> working on on so many different levels, and I think it's it's a fun film. And seeing Pitt and DiCaprio share the screen screen together as you know many times they've tried before, um, this one works amazing. And Brad Pitt wins his his first, uh, well I guess his first acting Oscar. He previously won one for producing Twelve Years a Slave. But this film just really shows you like the like the perfect measures that Tarantino does that's t- telling stories and rechanging and reimagining like the Hollywood ending to this. And Brad Pitt is just w- w- really funny in this film. Like he's he's doing a lot in the comedy area as well as just being able to to react with every scene that's happening. And it's it's fun with the transitions between each of the lead characters because it also has Margot Mar- Mar- Robbie in this as well. But this is just a fun film and I was very much looking forward to when it came out. And when I rewatched it recently, I'm like, this movie's, there's so much to take from it that you like. Uh, and, and that's, that is, that is what that is. You know, it's, it's a fun film and I just love seeing Brad Pitt work with Quentin Tarantino. There's no doubt about that. Um, so, yeah.
0: I mean, absolutely. There's, this is, there's so many layers to once upon a time in Hollywood because like, you have the flashback scenes. You have the scene where Brad Pitt's fighting the the guy who's playing Bruce Lee. You have the stuff with, with Leo and him doing his stuff in Europe. And then the scenes with Brad Pitt and the girls from the Charlie Manson farm and shit like that. And all of this stuff just it seems meaningless. And it's almost the what I love about the Once Upon a Time. It's almost like the... It's a combination of the Glorious Bastards and the Big Lebowski where he's, yes, rewriting history, but in the end, it really amounts to nothing again. So I just I mean, I love I love this like what they do. And I get there was like a lot of people that were pissed off because they thought they were getting like a story about the Manson murders and stuff. And like that was kind of just like the side story to the larger tale that they were telling about. Rick Dalton and his, and his stunt man, best friend, driver guy, Cliff Booth, Cliff. there. thank you, Brad Pitt. But like that, this is the one where Brad Pitt wins his Oscar and it makes so much sense because it, it should have been for when he played Aldo Ray. So giving it to him for a, another Tarantino performance only makes sense in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And also, the way that Tarantino is able to take us back in time into like 1960s Hollywood is amazing. I love that. Cause they also did that in Licorice Pizza. And I'm like, I feel transported.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's not often, though, that Tarantino makes a film set in present day either. So that's another.
0: Has he ever? Like, was Death Proof present day, though? I mean, just like, like, but like, like 90s.
1: It, he, well, basically yeah
0: then I okay so I guess I'll go into my last one which is a movie that I know both of us want to talk about so we'll we'll definitely dive into this one but man if there is a war film that I think is maybe one of the most under the radar war movies of all time and one of the best at displaying like the true brotherhood that you get with the people that you are thrown into the shit with is fucking Fury and this movie works because of the actors they got in these roles with Brad Pitt as the like commanding officer and John Bernthal as the mechanic and Shia LaBeouf, who gives a surprisingly phenomenal performance as the, I think he's the gunner, the big like the tank gunner or whatever. Uh, Michael Pena as the driver and Logan Lerman as the like backup driver and gunner. I mean, these guys just in this tank, going going through the shit like like just rolling through occupied germany from one mission to the another and like learning these incredible life lessons that this young guy played by logan lerman has to learn very quickly because he is like he's dude's like a typist like a guy like a journalist that got thrown into the seat of a tank and it's like go fucking fight the war and that's terrifying in and of itself but the way they get these characters and bring them together by the end and again it's the brotherhood that they're able to display in this movie is something else man and it's also some of the best uh like world war ii battle action that i've ever seen Be- they, they do something i mean david air makes a lot of great stylistic choices and unfortunately got some of those stylistic choices muddled with in the suicide squad. But with this, the fact that he's using like incendiary rounds that light up and you can see him fire across the fields in, in like real life is, is maybe not the most realistic, but it, it does wonders for what we're seeing on screen. And so there's so much to love about this movie. And it's again, one of the most underrated war films of all time, like general war films and Brad Pitt fucking killed it. Absolutely, I mean, it, he's the heart of the movie.
1: His character name is fucking War Daddy. And war Daddy, if yes. I show you what you're about to be entered in on. It's I don't know what to tell you, but like the just from the opening shot with like the the muddied battlefield and them going out there, like I just that that the shots all good um, in the film. Yeah, like you're saying for a war film, um, pretty underrated, and we haven't really had one that looks at at the tanks and where yeah sure. some shots
0: might look like you know the lasers the jokes that jokes that come about that but um yeah i did so- see those on letterbox and i'm like no there are actually... but they're like i'm like correct me if i'm wrong war people or gun people but there are incendiary rounds that will have like a light up tail that follows it like a, like what they're showing us on screen so it's more realistic than like a star wars laser so i that that argument didn't make any sense but oh. sorry
1: but with yeah no, just finishing touches on this one. But I I think uh, a David Ayer film should not look this great. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I like this or if, uh, end up watch more. But I think every time I watch one, it jumps
0: the other and it jumps the other, and it's just gonna
1: like, like those two films are fantastic. But I yeah,
0: mean, it's, you it's you really said good. it yourself. This man has some high highs and some low lows. Yeah, as
1: cliche as that sounding, right. count, but absolutely yeah. Because um, you got this as- and end
0: to watch, and then you got as- Bright and fucking Suicide Squad, and it's just like shit.
1: Well yeah, yeah I mean but there's one there never mind
0: <laughs> I don't know cuz well yeah there's another movie that I don't know but I haven't seen but the the other thing about this movie that I really love is you don't see many war movies that takes like a whole 30 minute section of the runtime to step away from the war and like have a moment with like all you're doing is just showing the humanity of the people inside the tank putting them back in the real life. And, but also you're seeing the people that are on the outside of the war looking in, in Germany who are just living where the war is happening. And man, if that's the scene at the the dinner table, isn't one of the like most gut wrenching of the entire war film. I don't know what is because you're seeing these people really just being humans, not being soldiers. And that's the main crux of the film. So yeah, Fury. Definitely give that a watch. And hopefully David Ayer comes out of the shit on the other side making great shit again.
1: Yeah, we'll see. Uh so I'll just wrap it up. Uh I'll I'll pick a um, a more stranger pick, I guess you can say, but um so I re- uh rewatched World War Z and I'm just going to throw that in the mix just because like you don't really see Brad Pitt um like swapping out like i guess you say the artsy uh, projects and the themes and the stories those are trying to tell this one he kind of takes um from the graphic novel approach and and a zombie led film i think he does a pretty interesting job making it interesting whereas not everything clicks and not everything is um i guess what you're expecting from a zombie film i think what this one does um i just i find it interesting and it, i mean it kicks off like within the first 10 minutes you're already trying to you're already watching this family race for their lives. And I I think that is interesting. And it's one of those films where like, I don't have an issue rewatching it. Um, And I know that the sequel was almost close to happening with David Fincher and Brad Pitt returning, but that didn't happen. Um, And so like, just with this one, it's not often where like you see Brad Pitt take a swing and it misses. And even though this film still, I mean, it made a, a shit ton at the box office. Like that wasn't a stranger. I mean, it came out. In The summer, right around July 4th, or whatever, it made 200 in the US and 540 global. Like, it's not like that did bad, but like, this is just one of those times where, like, Brad Pitt took a leap for something and you just don't really see it, uh, as not successful as uh, his other films. So,
0: yeah, I mean, it's some of the coolest action zombie sequences I've seen in maybe any film. The problem is, those are incredibly few and far between because it spends a lot of time just jumping from location to location and talking in a lot of war rooms about like what they're going to do. And then shit goes sideways and they got to go to the next place to talk about what they're going to do. And so that's not the best. And I mean, your level of attachment to these characters is almost none because like right off the bat, you're like, they're at home. Then they get in the car and then fucking zombie apocalypse. You're given no time to give a shit about these characters and then they're separated And the families on the boat. And then, again, Brad Pitt's just jet-setting across from place to place. Like, is the plane sequence maybe one of the craziest zombie moments in film history? Totally. But that's a whole movie that does not bring. So the movie is good, but definitely not my favorite Brad Pitt or zombie film
1: Mm -hmm. by any means. Yeah, and so looking ahead though I, I think so this won't be the, this won't be the last time we talk about Brad Pitt this year though cuz he has uh he's teaming up with Damien Chazelle in the film Babylon which i think
0: is going to be if that comes out this year it's confirmed What are you talking about oh yeah 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 it's yeah. going to do
1: the that's the limited the one,
0: that's never mind the limited release then
1: will get a wide release right
0: January, but it'll do the holiday thing yeah
1: uh that's for Yeah. definitely uh, I'm definitely going to be, you know, eyes open on that one because that one looks very interesting. He is supposedly going to be working with, and he has a bunch of producing projects coming out too, which is going to be very interesting to see because that stuff also helps with the award season. Um, but he's supposedly going to be working with George Clooney again. There's going to re team with the John Watts film. I don't know how to take that. But the one that I'm very much excited about after the summer that Joseph Kaczynski has had with Top Gun Maverick, Brad Pitt and him are teaming for an Apple TV movie. About Formula One I even like Head
0: More than I thought I was gonna
1: Yeah they're They're teaming up For a Formula One Racing movie That I think is Going It could be like Even better than Ford versus Ferrari Which on a technical note That was already Amazing So A lot to look forward to Obviously I know um, A couple months back Like Brad Pitt Made a comment Where like he doesn't See himself acting That much more But I But during the press tour For Bullet Train He He re- rephrased that By basically saying Like the project That he works on He's gonna be more um thinking about them like if this is something he wants to put his body to if this is something that he wants you know message to get across and whatnot and he'll still always have his hands on in producing which you got to respect that because like we said earlier he he helped produce 12 years a slave he got that well he was in that too well well but i mean he mainly produced that that got it off the ground and that right. when he Best picture he helped you know he helped uh get the part done the movie with scorsese because for the longest time he was going to be in it but he didn't uh, so that was always interesting, but he's you know he's a guy that like I said a top five certainly for me, and I'm always gonna- he's a
0: linchpin in Hollywood. He's Brad fucking Pitt. You're you'd be again you'd be really hard pressed to find anyone in this world, in especially in the United States, but like probably in the entire world that doesn't know who fucking Brad Pitt is.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, and that being so, like that will kind of conclude our. It's very elaborate conversation about Brad Pitt. Once
0: again, the center rivals podcast has gone in and completely fellatiated a new actor. But anyways, let's, let's wrap this shit up. It's been a long one. All right. uh, Recommendation for the week. And I'm going to come in and steal Brent's thunder a little bit because he's usually the guy that loves to use the recommendations as a reason to like mourn or honor uh, actors who have passed away and unfortunately someone who I feel is pretty close to me and my family and like it would uh, be actress who was in a movie that like my mom absolutely loves like literally probably her top three and that's Olivia Newton-John who played Sandy in Greece, unfortunately passed away I think at the age of like 74 and I think it's from cancer because fuck cancer cancer is the fucking worst uh, but I, I'm gonna I use this opportunity to say go out and watch Grease it's, yeah it's maybe not the most accurate look at the time in the 50s that it's trying to represent but god damn it it's some of the most fun songs and some of the best performances and I dare you not to get emotional while listening to sandra d saying hopelessly devoted for you now that she is no longer with us so our rest in peace uh olivia newton john
1: yeah well said i mean i don't i don't think you can really (laughs) me personally could top that but i would just also yeah um watch grace if you haven't seen it i feel like universally a lot of people with parents have been forced to watch that movie but doing so uh On your own rights Like I think if you haven't seen that yet That's something you should be watching I mean
0: over the pandemic While everyone was like still like Having to hang out outside For my mom's birthday We literally I set up the projector We watched Grease She Her friends bought her a pink ladies jacket She fucking loves it And Because it was on repeat in my house I have a close Really deep connection with that movie And it really sucks to see that Someone is Like one of those actors is gone It always It always sucks
1: yeah, so we'll, way to what, go. what we'll have coming forward with you though is you know this month and leading into September. Oh, wait,
0: so oh. Greece, you're you're also saying Greece for your recommendation?
1: Dude, all I've watched the past like three weeks have been Brad Pitt movies. True.
0: Okay, I know that does Unless happen you quite watch a bit Brad when Pitt. we do these.
1: Unless you want to watch Brad Pitt, like I mean, I am. <laughs> yeah, but, I think we've um, done
0: enough recommending of Brad Pitt.
1: Coming coming forward with you though, like there's not a lot of movies coming out, not a lot of stuff getting released. So we'll probably be coming at you at a lesser release schedule, but we're still going to
0: be... You know. It'll it'll pick back up come October and maybe late September when those awards movies start hitting because we'll definitely be trying to watch those. But yeah, next week we'll probably go another bye week and then we will come back on, I think, aug- around August 18th or whatever, whenever Beast, the Idris Elba film, comes out. Maybe that week we can talk about something like creature features or who knows we'll see
1: we'll have something that's why for
0: another time to figure it out yeah exactly plenty of time now and i'll have plenty of time to edit this one because it's fucking long but for the sit arrivals podcast i am brett that is brent and we will see you next time bye-bye
1: i'm runder